Hey, who, who here is kind of happy that Banj and Bree are going to be around for another six months? Huh? That's good news. Just a quick comment about kids camp. I'm sitting, I'm listening, and I'm, you know, I know the heart of, of these women in particular who are running this uh, program this year. And um, I just think it's a huge opportunity for us to step to the plate as a church. We talk a lot here about being a serving congregation, being servants in heart, <clears throat> as was Jesus. Excuse me, I'm getting all choked up. No, I'm not. Um, I have to be careful when I say that, because sometimes I do, right? <laughs> um, but but uh, this is an opportunity to just say, Lord, use my life for your purposes and your glory. I think sometimes of, of uh, church being like a uh, football game and stadium. You ever think that way? And there are people who are in the, stadiums watch, in the stadium seats watching the game, and there are the players on the field. Who are we? See, the danger is because you sit watching us lead that you think we're the players on the field. But we're just leading the players in the field, and that's you guys. <laughs> really, that's the way it is. That's the biblical reality of what church is. And, you know, it's possible to come to church and be in the stands and watch but that's not the church we are. We are. That's not the church we intend to be. We are a church because we believe this to the core of our being who is like Jesus. And he came into this stadium and he played on the field. And we are servants who are in the game, on the field, but with a passion in our hearts, using our spiritual gifts in order to accomplish, accomplish something significant for God. It's called building his kingdom. So, you know, you want to know IPC? This is, this is us. This is our DNA. This is who we are. And with Kids Camp, it's another incredible opportunity to get into the game. And I don't know, you know, some of you will be here on, on uh, uh, that week, loving children, fabulous. Some of you will be working in the kitchen. Some of you, every Saturday between now and then, will be decorating in the gymnasium. Um, others will be giving the, the things like socks. Anybody got extra spare socks sitting around? Isn't that kind of funny? Everybody does. Get them here, right? You're going to throw them out anyway. Um, and if nothing else, you get on your knees before God and you say, God, that week make a difference in the lives of children, would you? And in the lives of families through children. So, on the field, not in the stands, right? Uh, uh. <laughs> make note for a future sermon, you know? <laughs> Let me pray. Thank you, God, for uh, this day. Thank you for your love, for your grace, for your beauty, for your truth. Thank you that you are continuing to form a people here um, who are servants at heart and who see opportunity and, and when they're informed about it, they just jump in with passion. God, I pray, we pray together that more and more and more we will be players on the field, not content to sit in the stands and watch. Bless us now, Lord, as we look into your word, make it powerful for us. Change our lives through what we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I was thinking this week about the reality that um, um, this, regarding this series of the love of God for us that I've been engaging in over these last weeks, um, there are a lot of reasons to not believe it. A lot of reasons out there just think, well, yeah, God loves me right, Chris, you know, and to balk at that. Um, we talked about one last week, you know, this idea that God is preoccupied mostly with my sin and he's unhappy with me and he has an element of displeasure and judgment toward me because sin exists in my life, which of course it does. Um, and what we learned last week, if you didn't listen to the sermon, get online, listen to it. It's, I think it's so important for people to know uh, that if we have even a hint of that belief of God's judgment toward us in his mind as he perceives us, we will not know the full extent of his love. We will not get to that place where we grasp the width, length, height, and depth 
of God's love, as Ephesians chapter 3 encourages us to. Um, we just won't, according to 1 John chapter 18. Another reason that sometimes we don't believe in the love of God or, uh, is that we go through hard, difficult times in life, painful times in life, and if we don't enter into those times absolutely convinced that God is good and that he absolutely loves us, it's really, really, really easy to think, you know what, he doesn't love me because how could he allow this in my life? You know, how could he if he loved me? We've got to know it going into that, and sometimes that's our response to the idea that, 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 that God has sort of abandoned us and he doesn't care about me anymore. It's not true, but we, we, we go there. Sometimes I think it's, uh, not sometimes, I'm growing increasingly aware that it's simply a facet of fallen nature. The uh, Bible believes sin, evil entered into all creation, including our thinking and into our hearts and so forth. Um, and, 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 and it's almost like we're wired to not believe in the love of God. Think, you know, think of it in these terms that, you know, sometimes there, there is a voice in our head, and I'm not talking about anything weird or strange, but just we hear this message in our head. Sometimes it speaks loudly, and sometimes it whispers, but there's a voice that says, I'm not worthy of, of love. Um, sometimes the, the, the voice says, you're no good. Sometimes the voice says, you're not lovable, you know? And, and for some people, it's, 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 it's stronger because of their experience in life. What happens in the early years of a child's life are so critically important, and if the negative, critical, condemning voices are loud, then, man, it sticks with you, and the voice speaks, sometimes all your life. Sometimes we live in life in such a fashion, even as adults, we're hearing a lot of criticism, a lot of condemnation, a lot of negativity, and the voice speaks because of it. And, and, you know, somebody like me comes along trying to explain the passage of scripture that, passages of Scripture that we're going to look at today and, 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 say, and says to you, God loves, but whoa, the voice is powerful. The back of my mind, ever heard that voice? <laughs> to me, that's a, a duh question. I think all of us have. Sometimes, you know, uh, we just have a faulty view of God. In our thinking. Sometimes, you know, we think that God is the kind of God who is trying to keep us from really living. You know, he's telling me to do things I just don't want to do. I'm not going there. Why would I, why would I live in obedience to that? that? That's no fun. Or sometimes he tells us not to do what we want to do. And it's like God's the killjoy, and he's trying to take away our fun, and he's trying to diminish life for us. And quite frankly, at the root of that is a solid belief that God doesn't want my best. He doesn't love me. Never thought those thoughts. So, you know, we come to this, this discussion today, and, and if God isn't all these things, uh, potentially, if he's not a God of judgment, and, and if, he, if he's not this God who wants to keep me from life and so forth, what really is there? What do we replace it with? What is the truth that we need to take hold of in our minds and let that truth penetrate our hearts so that we know in our heart of hearts what the Bible says is true of God? You know, in a world of negative messaging and wrong belief, I want to tell you the Bible cries out, God, my friends, loves you. I want you to personalize again today. And I want you to struggle if you have to in order to deeply receive. All right? And what the Bible does is it shares God's heart for us in so many ways in the hope of breaking through faulty thinking and sometimes hardened hearts to tell us the reality of what is. And that is that God delights in you. God finds joy in you. God absolutely loves you. Can I make a suggestion before we go farther this, uh, this morning that, uh, that you might want to take note of the four or five texts that we're going to look at. We're going to pop around and we're going to do a Bible study this morning. 
And that maybe every day this week you reflect on one of these texts just to let the truth seep in a little more. If you'd like to do that, I think it might be beneficial. I think it would be a valuable thing for you to do. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at some texts. And if it's not killjoy, and if it's not judgment, and if it's not all these things that sometimes we consider God to be toward us, what is it? Let's, let's open the book and dig in. Psalm 139, verses 13 to 16 say this. For you created my inmost being. You know, you can just stop there, right? Oh, God, you created my inmost being? <laughs> God is your creator. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in, that secret, in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You know... I know those are familiar verses to a lot of people, but they are remarkable verses with remarkable truth contained within. Um, just think for a minute, will you, with me about this. Think of Christine standing up here, very, what did they say of Mary? Full with child or something? You know, she's ready to give birth, right? There's a baby in there. Think about the bond that exists between a mom and an infant child, a mom who carries this little one for nine months. A mom who, who is there, uh, who loves, even though that child in some ways is unknown, who cares for, who nurtures, even in terms of nutrients, who protects. The bond is powerful, my friends. It is deep. It is strong. Yep, you know what this verse says? This says that, you know, God goes a step beyond that, this God who created you. Not only is he like a mom carrying this child, this God literally wove you together in your mother's womb. God was active in the formation of your body as an infant child. He, he was there, my friends. I want you to think about that. He was there in the womb, forming you, <laughs> creating you, giving you life present to you it says that his eyes saw the unformed body my my friends i want to tell you this speaks to a deeply intimate personal thing which bonds god to you and you to god and that's the biblical truth that's the reality and the bond is powerful and it is real you know the lord created you moment by moment day by day month by month and god gave you life he is that intimately connected to your person, to your being. Remarkable. Take a minute with this, will you? There are a lot of people in this world who, who are unhappy with who they are. They look at themselves, they see the problems, and it's pretty hard to love themselves as a result. Another reason to not believe God loves me like that, dramatically, powerfully. Sometimes it's a physical feature that's out of proportion. You know, ears too big, eyes too close together, too wide apart. You know, uh, too short, too tall, whatever. Sometimes, you know, it, it, it comes to, um, uh, to, to personality. You know, the introverts who wish they were more outgoing. And the extroverts who wish they could just shut up sometime, you know. The introverts who wish the extroverts would shut up. And the extroverts who wish the introverts would be more outgoing. <laughs> you know, put that into a marriage and see what, sees what happens, right? But, you know, that's the reality. We look at ourselves and we sometimes just wish, I just wish I wasn't like this. You know what God says to you? If indeed that's you, 
And I know many, for many of you this is true. You know what God says? He says, you are exactly as I made you. I formed you to be the person you are physically and emotionally and in terms of personality. And I love you just the way you are. That is awesome truth. That is remarkable. You know, God comes along and he says, you are who you are because I made you that way. And guess what? I delight in you. You fill my heart with joy. It's almost too good to believe this stuff, but that's what the Bible says. You fill my heart with joy. That's why 17, beginning of verse 17, says this. From the text. There we go. Mm, 17, not 14. 17. 17. And this, there we go, there we go. No, that's not the right verse either. <laughs> this is Psalm 139, and it is verse 17, A to be specific. Here we go. How precious to me. This is, this is immediately after what we have just read and after the reflection of what God's heart is toward you. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. How precious to me are the thoughts you have about me. That's what it's saying. This is valuable stuff. This is precious stuff, that God thinks of you like that. Now, let's move on to the second text. Isaiah 49. We're going to do uh, three verses, one at a time. Verse 14 says this. But Zion said, the Lord has forsaken me. The Lord has forgotten me. This passage is for those people who have gone through very difficult, painful times and actually believe that God has abandoned them. Okay? Verse 15. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast? And have no compassion on the child she has born? It's like, that's pretty tough stuff. <laughs> not likely. Though she may forget, God says, I will not forget you. My friends, I want to tell you, we have a God in heaven who, who you know, here again, go, goes beyond the love of a mom for an, for an infant child. And he says, though she maybe can forget you, I never will forget you. No matter what's going on in your life, I love you so much, I can't forget you. Not only would I not, I can't, and I will be with you. My heart is, for you is greater even than the, than the intimate bond of a mother. Verse 16, see, I have engraved you on the palm of my hands. Your walls, Jerusalem, are ever before me. Let's just say God has engraved our names on the palm of his hand. What does that mean? I want to suggest to you this, that you are, God is saying, you are marked on my body. You are part of me. I'm never going to forget. Never. My friends, I want to tell you, this passage speaks to a love that is deep and it is intimate. And it, it, you know what the text says? It is more caring and more real and, and, and deeper even than the love of a mother for her infant child. And that's a strong bond, isn't it? See how the scripture brings us to this comparison? Let's go to Matthew chapter 10, 29 to 31. Cool stuff. Jesus speaking, what is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin. And that wasn't very much in that day. But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. There's that fear thing again. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. 
know, Jesus coming along, and as he often does, just takes this very natural, common reality to communicate something. And he's basically saying, if God cares for one little bird and knows when it falls to the ground and dies, and he speaks of its value, he says to these people, how valuable are you to God? Can I ask you how valuable are you to God? A lot or a little. Um, you know, he comes along and he follows that illustration. And he said, Not, you are so valuable that every hair on your head is numbered. God knows the number of hairs on your head. I've contemplated that a little bit. And you know the question that comes to my mind? It's this. Who does that? Who counts the hairs on someone's head? And my answer, I would suggest to you, is this. The only person who would do that is a doting parent. Someone who is deeply committed to, someone who is fascinated with, someone who cares enough to do that for the, for the child that they deeply love. See, that is God for you. He knows you that well. And he cares enough to know how many hairs are on your head right now. How about this one, Zephaniah 3.17? I love, I love this, this verse, as you probably know. For the Lord your God is living among you. He's with you, right? He is a mighty Savior. He will listen, take delight in you with gladness, love you with his love. He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Three points are made here. Are you letting the truth sink in? Are you opening your mind to maybe a reality you didn't understand before? Number one, the, the text says uh, that God delights he takes delight in us with gladness the niv says the new international version says he takes great delight in you not a little bit a whole lot it's a huge amount of delight what is delight a high degree of pleasure and enjoyment a high degree of pleasure and enjoyment a high degree of pleasure and enjoyment in god's heart because of me because of you well, what about that sin? No, sin's dealt with in the cross last week. Listen to it if you need to. It's gone. Sin's over. Guilt is over. Condemnation is done. He looks at you. He sees the righteousness of Christ, that gift of righteousness that's given to you. And he has a high degree of pleasure and enjoyment because of his kids. It's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful picture. It's a remarkable thing. Listen, let me ask you this. When, what, when have there been times that you have known greatest delight in your life? All of us know the hard times. All of us have difficulty and struggle and heartache and pain. But there are also times of great delight. When have you encountered and experienced them? You know, maybe, maybe when you, uh, you know, met, met that, that gal, that guy, and you fell in love, and, and you realized, he wants to marry me? <laughs> Whoa, you want to jump and dance and sing? Or, or as a guy, you go, yeah, yeah, she said yes. Yeah. That's delight. High degree of pleasure and enjoyment. It's a moment of delight for us if, if it's happened. How about the time, you know, when, when your first child was born? By the time you get to two and three, it's still an amazing, amazing thing. But hey, we're old pros, right? But, but the first time, it blows you away. You remember if you've had a child blessed with that thing? And, and, and someone comes and puts this little bundle of joy in your arms? How many people could hold the tears back? It's a beautiful, precious, delight-filled moment. 
about that time that, you know, you bring the child home and they begin to grow. They're still very, very little, but you have that, that moment of real connection as eye meets eye. And that child looks into your eyes and sees the delight and the love. And you know that what is coming back from those eyes is their delight and joy in you with the smile. That's delight-filled moment, right? My friends, there are so many of these dynamic realities. First step, and we all cheer, and we clap, and we think it's so amazing. Moments of delight. The Bible says, and I want you to hear it, that God looks at you, and he experiences delight, joy, a high degree of pleasure and enjoyment. I know what I'm saying right now is contrary to what a lot of people have felt all their lives, even as Christian people. Because we haven't gotten this truth into our hearts. It's remained in our minds. Let it sink in. Second thing it says is, with his love, he calms all our fears. NIV says, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And, you know, we learned last week that God no longer rebukes. This is a prophecy that is now fulfilled and is a reality in us, we who are in Christ. But love quiets our fears, our fears, the New Living Translation says, so that they go away. Again, think of an infant child upset in the loving embrace of a, of a parent who communicates safety and assurance and real peace. That's God to you. That's God to you. And he rejoices over you with joyful songs. I kind of like this idea. But um, do you know that God sings? Um, where did music and singing come from? <laughs> the creator. So yeah, God sings, but more importantly, he does it over you with joyful songs, with joy. I hope some of you are thinking, come on, Chris, you're going a little far here. God sings over me with joy. I want to tell you, because it's in the book and we believe what's in the book, that you make God sing as an expression of the joy that he holds within his heart for you. Now, it's not my words, right? I'm not here to tell you what I think. I'm here to tell you what the Bible says, and the Bible tells us what God thinks. Who's letting the truth sink deeply into their heart? Isaiah 43, verse 1, and I've referred to this passage a couple of times in recent months, but now, O Jacob, listen to the Lord. If we would only listen, like really listen to the Lord who created you, O Israel, the one who formed you, says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you, I have called you by name, you are mine. He calls us to himself. Oh, we could talk a long time about this one. The reason, if you are in Christ, the reason you believe in him is because you have been called by God to know him. He desires relationship with you and with me. He desires friendship with us. He denies, desires connections with, connection with us so much so that in the end of the day when we are given that gift of faith and the gift of righteousness and we come to faith in Jesus, the Lord says, you are mine. And that's not the mine of control and of possession. That's the mine of love. You know, it's what a bride says on her wedding day after they've taken their vows, and she looks into her, her husband's, her new husband's eyes, and, he said, and she says, you're mine. And the husband looks back at her and says, no, now you're mine. Remember, remember that old song we used to sing? It comes from the Song of Songs, Song of Solomon. You are my, I am my beloved's, and he is mine, speaking of this romantic relationship, which represents not only romantic relationship, but Christ and his church. 
I am my beloved's and he is mine. The banner over me is love. It's like this statement banner over who I am in Jesus. And the banner says love. The love of God for us. I want to tell you, my friends, you are his and he loves you. Verse 2 and 3 as we carry on. When you go through deep waters, and yeah, they'll come. They'll come. Sometimes God even leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, right? I will be with you. There's that presence again, never doubt it. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you will not drown. When you walk through the fire of oppression, you will not be burned up. The flames will not consume you, for I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. We'll come back to the rest of that verse in a minute. My friends, in difficult times, what God says is, I will be with you, and because I love you as much as I do, I will act on your behalf, and you will survive, and I will see you through, and in the end of the day, you will be fine. I love you that much. I love you so much, I would never leave you alone. I would la- never leave you to the ravages of life. Never. I am intimately with you. I am powerfully acting for you to bring you through this to a good place. Remarkable. And then verses 3 and 4 again, the latter part of verse 3 <clears throat> says this. I gave Egypt as a ransom for your freedom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Others were given in exchange for you. I traded their lives for yours because, listen, you are precious to me. You are honored. And there it is again. I love you. What are these three things? You are precious to me. You, the Bible is saying right now, God is saying to you right now, you are precious to me. You are precious to me. You're of great value to me. You're like a a, a costly gem, a jewel of great value. You know that to be true? You know you're that important to God? You're so important to God that he sent his son to die on a cross for you. Remarkable. It says you are honored, you are highly esteemed, you are respected, you are given distinction in my eyes. Psalm 23 again, you set a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You elevate me above my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My head gets anointed, not theirs. My cup overflows. The blessing you pour into my life is so much that it can't be contained. This is God for you, my friends. And then it says in the end, um, and I love you. God says to you through that verse, I love you. Like, I really love you. You know, is it any wonder, my friends, that uh, when Jesus came, he began speaking of God as Father? You know, in in, in Jesus' day, and even to this present day, when when Jewish people wrote the word God, they wouldn't write G-O-D, because that was considered almost blasphemous. You couldn't even say the word. You couldn't write it. It's G underscore D. Too holy, too, too other, too, um, too, 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 too much to be esteemed to actually either say the word or write it. And along comes this young rabbi, instead of not even, you know, voicing the word God, he starts calling God Abba, which means daddy. You know, this intimate, personal name for God <laughs> that describes everything that I've been talking about here today that the Bible over and over and over again tells us about. 
was so impactful. I had a friend who spent months in, a, in, in his really kibbutz in his early 20s. Kibbutz? In his early 20s. I have trouble saying that word. Kibbutz. Kibbutz? Kibbutz? I don't know. But listen, at the end of the day, after the, 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 the work in the fields were done, they're agricultural, as you know. For him, it was so incredibly powerful when those dads came home walking down the street at the end of a long day of work and the little children would run up to them with arms outstretched like this and they would cry, Abba, Abba, Daddy, Daddy. <laughs> only, only to be caught up in the arms of their dads, to be embraced and to be loved, probably tickled and hugged. That, my friends, is God to you. Believe it or not. You know, some weeks ago I said to you, we all have very deep core needs. Every human being is born with them and we struggle to fulfill them or satisfy them because we are fallen and our minds aren't functioning in the way God's mind functions and our hearts, our uh, affections and so forth have been corrupted and we, we can't love the way that we want to love and so forth. But you have real deep core needs um, which desperately need to be met in order for you to be whole, satisfied in life, fulfilled, need for significance and for security and for safety and purpose and meaning and so forth. You know what the deepest need of your life is? It's for, it's for love. It's to know at the core of your being, I am loved. A lot of us turn to people in our lives in order to have that need satisfied. We look to spouses or to children or to parents or to friends and we say, love me, love me, love me, love me. I need love. Prove it to me. Show it to me. That makes for difficult relationships at times. Because no human being can satisfy that need perfectly. You know, the only one being in the universe who can fully and completely satisfy your need for love is God. And I ask you today, do you know deeply? Are you convinced that God loves you? That you are precious to him? That he so delights in you that he sings over you joyful songs. You know, my friends, there are various voices that speak into our lives over the course of a lifetime. A lot of them are negative. A lot of them are condemning. A lot of them tell us we're not worthy or valuable or precious. They tell us the opposite message. But there is one true voice, and it is God's. And if you're going to believe any voice, believe his. Believe his. Let's pray. Oh, God, this, this is almost too good to be true. <laughs> and it really is hard to believe for we who are human. For we who have heard so many negative voices telling us 
what some others feel and think about us. But Lord, in the end of the day, we believe scripture to be true. We believe, our God, that you are everything that this book has said today about who you are and about your heart for us. God, work the miracle in us as a church. May we be a congregation who understands and who grasps the width and the length and the height and the depth of your love for us, that we might be filled to the fullness of God. Lord, I pray for these people. I pray especially for those people who, because of life, because of our fallenness, because of um, faulty thinking, Lord, they just don't want to believe or at least somehow seem unable to believe these things of you. And God, our prayer is for them and it is for all of us that we would be people who receive the word of God and believe it. For Lord, you have spoken and your message is overwhelming in scripture and it is above all else the fact that you are a God of love. So Father, help us to hear it, to know it, to receive it, and to ultimately believe the truth of what it is your word has said. These things are God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.